you have your Bibles or your Bibles on your apps, on your phones, take them out now and turn to Matthew's gospel. Right near the end, Matthew chapter 27. Does some of that feel like it's not authentic to who you are or where you're at in life right now? I'm not sure where you are right now, God. Where'd you go? Why are you in hiding? Why is it that I cannot seem to find you? Why is it that when I pray, my prayers just seem to bounce off the ceilings? Where are you, Lord, in the middle of my hurt, in the middle of my struggle, in the middle of my brokenness? Why are you not answering my prayers? King David prayed this prayer recorded it as a song, and it became part of Scripture. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Psalm chapter 22. Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call out to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. Psalm 22, verse 1 and 2. And those very words echo from the cross from the bleeding, bruised mouth of our Savior who hauled himself up on the spikes that held him to the cross and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Perhaps you feel that way too. And now of all days, Easter Sunday. You go to church and and everybody puts on their brave faces behind those stupid masks. They, they, They all seem so well put together, so with it. They look like their lives are 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 so so complete and so true, and mine is so messed up. They seem so strong. Look around you. All of us dressed in our Sunday best, our our Easter best, happy, smiley faces, singing joyfully that the battle belongs to the Lord and that the resurrected King is resurrecting us or them. And it all just seems so bogus to you. I mean, you've tried this Jesus thing couple years now probably. You signed on the dotted line. You've done your best to live a life that is good, that is upstanding, beautiful Christian life. The kind of life that would make Jesus proud of you. You've been faithful to your spouse. Your kids are all okay. They're doing all right. Most of them love Jesus. You're the kind of co-workers that your co-workers think is a pretty good person. They all like working with you. You make a great neighbor. But God just doesn't seem very close. Seriously. He's far away. If he even exists 
at all. And so you follow him reluctantly because of pure pressure in the abyss at a distance. (laughs) You're not the only one who's followed him at a distance. You're not alone in that feeling. I mean, look at our gospel passage for today. Matthew chapter 27, Jesus' account, or Matthew's account of when Jesus dies, and he, he says this, when Jesus cries that, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, some of the bystanders misunderstand them. They think that he's calling for the prophet Elijah. And so one of them runs up to him with a sponge on a reed stick soaked in sour wine so that he can have a drink. But the rest of them all say, wait a moment. Let's just see if Elijah comes to save him. And then Jesus shouts aloud again, and he releases his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple is ripped in half from top to bottom. Just like Darren said, the earth shakes violently and many rocks are split open. I love this part. And, and, and the dead, the tombs of many dead people are opened up and the bodies of many godly men and women who have died are raised from the dead and they leave the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection and they appear to many people in the holy city of Jerusalem. And the Roman officers and the other soldiers at the crucifixion, absolutely terrified by the earthquake and all that's happened, and they whisper in awe, truly, this man was the Son of God. The Son of God. And many women who'd come from Galilee with Jesus to care for him were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of James and John, sons of Zebedee. Matthew, her name is Salome. Matthew probably records it this way because Zebedee's probably dead by this point, and so it's a way for Matthew to hint at that without mentioning Salome's name. But did you catch it? There in that second to last verse, it says that the women followed him and watched from a distance. These were the very same women who had given up everything to follow him. And now they're at a distance. These are the same women who had who'd, who'd supported him with their financial giving throughout his ministry. And now they're at a distance. These are the women that have followed him all the way from Galilee up north down to Jerusalem to the capital city. And now they're at a distance. They're following him, but they're at a distant. The Greek word is makrothen. From far away. Afar off in your King James versions. Not too close. Not within the splash zone when Jesus is dying. Not where you might get blood splatter on your brand new tunic. 
You don't want to get too close to this Jesus, especially during his crucifixion. You don't want to stand too close to the cross. And so you follow, but at a distance. Maybe you remember a few verses earlier, the, the night before when, when Peter is, is with Jesus in the garden and he's arrested and Jesus is led out into the darkness to die, surrounded by a mob that wants him dead. And, and Matthew tells us that, that Peter is the, the guy who loves Jesus the most. Peter, the guy that pulls the sword to cut off Malchus's ear to defend Jesus. That Peter is still following Jesus, but he's doing so at a distance, Matthew 26, verse 58, Macrothen. As Jesus is interrogated and humiliated and beaten and mocked in the chambers above him, Peter is warming his hands by a fire, cowering in fear, following at a distance. That little Greek word, makrothen, is so full of meaning, and we follow Jesus too, but at a distance. There's all sorts of things in our lives that keep us from following him too closely. One of the things that predicates a sense of distance from the Lord is our sin, my, my sin. Can I be honest with you here? I have some sin in my life that I actually like, that I enjoy, that I don't want to let go of. Don't judge me too harshly because you're exactly the same way. You, you know you are. The sins may be different, but the reluctance is the same. Your nourished disobedience to God is keeping you at a distance. I knew that joke was inappropriate. The moment I heard it, I knew it was inappropriate, but it was hilarious. And I knew I shouldn't have repeated it, but you know what? I did. I told the joke, and all my coworkers, they all laughed. They thought it was great, and I felt really great about myself until I realized that I did something wrong. I followed Jesus at a distance. That juicy piece of gossip that I heard about that person that I secretly despise anyways, like, oh, yeah. And you know what? I knew that it didn't pass the threefold test. It wasn't true. It wasn't necessary. It wasn't kind. And guess what? I told the gossip anyways. I engaged in the sin of gossip, and I followed Jesus from a distance. That second look of longing, that second bowl of ice cream, that, that curse that I muttered under my breath at that person in front of me at the stoplight, that moment when I put myself ahead of other people, that time when I just didn't get the task done because I stayed on the couch all day. Pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, anger, laziness. I follow Jesus. I do. But I follow at a distance. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? Right in the very front of our Bibles. Oh, nothing tastes as sweet as forbidden fruit. But it is sugary poison 
So when God comes to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, where are Adam and Eve? They're hiding. Adam, where are you? I'm at a distance. My sin keeps me at a distance. And sometimes it's not my sin. Sometimes I, I, I don't follow him closely because of fear. Like, I'm afraid. I, I'm a fearful person. He is God, and I am not God. And he said that he is a consuming fire. And guess what? I don't want to get burned. I don't want to have to deal with the blisters of dealing with him. He's everything that he says he is. The fairest of 10,000. The God of angel armies. The resurrected king of the universe. All powerful. Always present. All knowing one. And he scares the beans out of me sometimes. And I don't want to get too close. Or, or maybe it's fear of other people. that keeps me at a distance. Right? Peter's all bluster and bravado in the darkness of the garden where nobody can identify him and no one can pin the assault on him. There's no light. But, but later in the story, when there's just a little bit of light, the fire, he's denying Jesus. And even later in the story, by daylight, he's nowhere to be found. He follows Jesus, but at a distance. I worship Jesus on Sunday in church, but by Monday, am I back to following him at a distance? Am I afraid of what other people will say? And sometimes... Sometimes I follow him at a distance because I'm just so aware of how far short I fall. My inadequacy. I'm not very big. I am not very strong. I am not very talented. I am not very intelligent. Surely there are other people who should be picked ahead of me, right? I, I can't be the, he's aware, I'm Lord, pick another person. Not me. Don't you know that I don't measure up? Remember Moses in the wilderness? Exodus chapter 4. A burning bush doesn't scare him. He sees a burning bush. He's not afraid. He goes closer to see what's going on. And his staff becoming a poisonous snake doesn't slow him down. He reaches down and grabs the tail of that snake and it turns back into a staff and he's absolutely unafraid. But when God calls him to lead the people, oh Lord, no, not that. Anything but that. Sorry God, pick another person. Exodus 4 verse 10. Oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I've never been and I'm not now. Even though you've spoken to me, I get my tongue all tied and my words get tangled. Yeah, God. Well, Moses said, that's, that's me. I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. I'm not the fastest horse in the race. I'm not the biggest boat in the harbor. Please pick someone else. Someone more 
competent than I am. And I, in my inadequacy, will be content to just follow you from a distance. And there's a legitimacy to all of this, right? I mean, before the unrestrained goodness of the Son of God who never sinned once, which one of us measures up? All of us are like Peter, aware of our own inadequacies. Peter says, depart from me, Lord, because I'm a sinful man. In Luke 18, we are told that there's one man who pushes himself to the center of the temple, to the front of the pack where everyone can see him and he parades his righteousness before the people and he is not the one who is justified. You know who is? It's the other guy, the guy on the margins, the guy that's in the corner, the guy that nobody notices except Jesus. And he's standing there all by himself. He's not even on the camera. He's got his head down and he's weeping and he's saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And you know what it says in Luke chapter 18? It says that guy is standing at a distance. Macrothen. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Before the dreadful perfection of our God, who could say less? All of us, each of us, even the very best of us, at a distance. And yet, there is another use of this word in Scripture. This word, makrothen, from afar off, at a distance. Yes, sometimes it is used to describe this chasm that has opened up. This uncrossable gap that we cannot cross, that we cannot jump over. Yes, it describes this incredible distance between a holy God and an imperfect human being like you and me, Macrothen. But there are times when Macrothen is used to describe a distance that has been bridged. A chasm that has been crossed. You see, Jesus tells this story. He tells the story about this absolute fool of a son who takes his dad's money and runs away to a foreign land and spends all his dad's money on hookers. That's what it says. And it's only when he reaches the end of his rope, it's only when he's run out of money, it's only when he's eating with the pig, it's at that moment that he decides, oh, I guess I've reached the end of the line here. Maybe I should go back to my home. Maybe I should go back to dad and, and see what kind, of, what kind of welcome I might still have with my dad because like, I hate that guy. Probably because I'm so much like him. But the point of the story is not the son not the son who ran away, not the son who stays home. Jesus is telling the story to tell us about the dad. You see, when the father sees his son coming back home, guess what it says? It says it's, he sees him at a distance. And what does the father do? Does he just wait for the son to come to him? No! He goes running up the road to greet his son 
The father crosses the distance. He crosses the chasm. He doesn't wait for Lenten penitence, for confession and contrition, for his son to grovel in the dirt and ask for forgiveness. Instead, he runs out Easter-like and he bridges the gap. He crosses the distance. He embraces. He initiates. He loves. We love him. Because he first loved us. Jesus is the one who crosses that distance. The distance is bridged by Jesus. And this is what it's like to live on the other side of Easter. To be able to look at the cross and the empty grave in the rear view mirror. Yes, there is a distance. But it has been crossed. Each one of us is welcome into the presence of a holy God because of the forgiveness of our Savior when we couldn't cross the chasm. He jumped over it for us. You know that sin is keeping you from Jesus? Just bring it to him. Just bring it to him. Don't don't think you have to clean yourself up first. That is the lie that is keeping you at a distance. Bring it to him. Just bring it to him today. And, And you know what? If you have to bring it to him again tomorrow, then bring it again tomorrow. And the next day and the day after that, just keep bringing it to him. Because here's what I promise you. If you keep bringing your sin to him, you keep doing that, you keep relentlessly bringing your sin to the foot of the cross, one day it will be the last time. One day you will not have to do that any longer. Sin does not win. Jesus already has. So bring him your sin. My friends, if you have not prayed to Jesus a simple prayer of confession and dedication, if you've never done that, why not do it right now? And you know what? If you've done that a thousand times, why not do it a thousand and one? Why not just pray right now and allow Jesus to bridge the distance that you created and that you can't cross. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Hate to admit that. And I know that you're perfect. You're God's son. I know that on Good Friday long ago, you paid the penalty for my sin. And you died on a cross. And, and I know on that first resurrection Sunday, that first Easter, you rose from the dead. And I, I just want to thank you for saving me, for forgiving me, for crossing the distance. My life is, 
oh, it's yours now. Totally yours. Please be my savior and be my king from this day forward. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer for the first time or for the thousand and first time, tell someone about it. One of the great truths of Christianity that makes it different from every other mere religion in the world is this one idea, this one thought, this one truth. You see, in every other religion, it's all about what you have to do in order to get up to God's level. What rules do you have to follow? What things do you have to give up? How much of your paycheck do you have to give? Where do you buy the magic underwear? Things like that. What do I have to do to make myself acceptable to God? Every other religion focuses on what you have to do. Only Christianity focuses on what God has already done. God is the one who's bridged the gap. We're the ones who created the chasm that separated us from God. God is the one who jumped over it. In Jesus Christ, Macrothen is a distance that has been bridged. In Acts chapter 2, very first sermon of the church, Peter stands up in front of a whole crowd of people, most of whom aren't yet believers, and he starts to tell them about Jesus Christ. And you know how he ends the very first sermon in the church? <laughs> repent and be baptized, he says. Every one of you, repent and be baptized. We're going to have a baptism here next Sunday. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the really cool part. Because here's what Peter goes on to say. He says, this promise is, is for you and for your children and for everyone who is at a distance. This promise is for everyone who feels like they're distant from God. Happy Easter. You have been forgiven. Not, not simply because of something you've done, but simply because God loves you. Jesus loves you. You have a new life, not because you're any better or any smarter or better looking or make better choices than other people, but simply because Jesus loves you. You've had your spiritual debts erased. You have freedom, not, not because you followed this rule or did these 348 things, but simply because your belief in Jesus and his love for you. Jesus loves you. You have eternity in heaven, and your eternal life has already started. It started in the here and now, and it started because of your belief in Jesus. Jesus came to be the Savior of the world and his love for you. And God incontrovertibly, undeniably, indisputably demonstrates his acceptance of this price when Jesus is resurrected on the third day. The price has been paid. The debt has been erased, the sin has been forgiven, the distance has been crossed. So I want to share with you three ways that you can live out the bridged distance in your life. 
First of all, you proclaim this bridge distance when you share this good news with others. So, so why not ask God for an opportunity to talk about him with someone this week? Yes, it's going to be awkward. And yes, you're going to say some things wrong. And you're going to lie awake at night, that night, and you're going to think about all the things you should have said. You, you are, you just are. And, and maybe, maybe someone will even get mad at you. For, for daring to talk about forgiveness in Jesus. But what if there is someone out there right now who is standing at a distance from God, who is looking down at the chasm that their choices and their life has made and they don't know how to cross that chasm. And what if you are the one that says, hey, the bridge has been crossed. Jesus has forgiven you. What if you're the one who gets to do that in that person's life? Second of all, you proclaim this bridge distance when you sing. And if you don't sing, then then you whistle or you hum or you snap your fingers or you play the drums too loud. I don't know. Just worship. We're going to be singing in a moment or two, and I really want to encourage you not to think about what other people are thinking. Not, not to worry about your voice and your ten, ten, you sing tenor, 10 or 11 notes off. Don't, don't worry about the masks on the stage or, or the fact that Chantel's green X is only 5 foot 11 from Michael's green X. It's not 6, it's 1 inch. Don't, don't think about it, any of that. Just, just think about a God who loves you so much that when you were at a distance, he's the one that crossed the gap. And just worship him, whatever that looks like. As you worship him, just draw near to him. Don't stay at a distance. And thirdly, you proclaim this bridged distance when you take communion. Pastor Darren is going to come in a few moments' time and lead us in communion. You can do that without me so that we don't have to wear masks. I, I think that's a better way of doing it. You know, during our Good Friday uh, citywide worship service, Pastor Jay from Open Bible led us in communion. I hope some of you caught that on Good Friday. And Pastor Jay said something that just got me thinking. He said, communion is one of the ways that we evangelize. It's one of the ways that we share the evangel, the euangelion, the good news of Jesus. And I, I gotta tell you, I'd never thought about that before. That when I take that bread and I drink that cup, I am proclaiming the Lord's death. I'm evangelizing. I'm telling the story of Jesus. That was a neat moment for me on Friday. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's not leave the Easter good news here in the pews. Let's take communion this morning and proclaim the good news. 
Let's sing out in worship and proclaim the good news. And let's go from here to our city, our our province, our world, and proclaim the good news. Because this promise is for you, Dave. This promise is for you, Julie. This promise is for you, Jordy. This promise is for you, Anne. This promise is for you, Ianu. This promise is for you, Jeff. This promise is for you, Elise. This promise is for all of us who once were at a distance.